Good morning. I am delighted to welcome you to morning worship on this, the Lord's Day, July 5th, 2015. This is the Sunday morning worship service of the Montreat Presbyterian Church, the Montreat Community, the sixth service of the Montreat Conference Center's Summer Series, and the center of our life as a faithful community. We are grateful this morning to welcome Heath Rada, moderator of the 221st General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church USA. Heath is the recipient of two recent honorary degrees from Presbyterian colleges. He's a world traveler these days. And in what stands as his favorite public recognition, Heath was recently named an outstanding alumnus of Lakeside Elementary School on the occasion of its 75th birthday. Most importantly to us, Heath and his wife Peggy are our neighbors and our friends. It's a pleasure to welcome the Rada family this morning. Let us pray. God of all generations, by the power of your spirit, help us to know your truth and follow your word so that we may be faithful disciples. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, amen. Thank you, Richard, and thank you all. So many of you, my personal friends and family, it's a pleasure to be here and look out at faces of people I love and who I feel love me. That's a strengthening experience for a person who's going to try and proclaim God's word. But I also want to say to you how humbling it is to be here. I have worshiped in this place for many summers, and the thoughts of ever occupying this pulpit is far beyond anything that I considered. It is one of our denomination's extraordinary places of worship. And to have the opportunity to be here on this day and be with you is a gift I value far beyond any words I can express. But it isn't me who is wanting to speak to you today. It is my desire to do everything I can to help us explore and understand God and God's will for us, and God's word for us. And the fact that this extraordinary banner proclaims that on this weekend when we celebrate freedom, the truth shall make us free. So let us look to the book, look, look to the words that are in the Bible, that are also printed in your bulletin, as we hear the gospel. Then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered him, we are descendants of Abraham and have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean by saying you will be made free? And Jesus answered them, very truly I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not have a permanent place in the household. The Son has a place there forever. So if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. This is the word of the Lord. The truth will make you free. The truth will free you. That's what we hear Jesus say when we read this passage. And, and that's what we read in, on highway signs and billboards and church bulletin boards. We can be freed by truth. We can know true freedom. 
But what in the world is this talking about? Freedom. Freedom from what? From what might we be freed? That's what the Jews asked. They said, Jesus, how can we be any more free than we already are? After all, we're not slaves. We've never been slaves to anyone. What are you talking about, Jesus? I wonder if Jesus was standing here today and talking to us and telling us that we could be freed by truth, where our minds might go. What kind of freedom would he be offering us? What truth do we need to know and understand to be free? Now, I don't know about you, although I know a number of you. I feel conflicted when I take this passage seriously. In so many ways, being a Christian today and a Presbyterian Church USA Christian is more confining than it is freeing. I feel conflicted by all the changes and the social values, the church's transitions, and those across our nation. What an extraordinary few weeks we've seen in this country and around the world. One way we look at freedom is in a political context. This is the weekend when we who are citizens of the United States celebrate our political freedom, our declaration of independence, our ability to have freedoms and privileges which too many of us may take for granted but which are amazing privileges unknown to so many around the world. And yet we know that the privilege that we feel in the USA is not one which all of our sisters and brothers feel, not even in our country. A number of years ago, there was a wonderful training film circulating around the country entitled, Who You Are is Where You Were When. A trainer named Morris Massey developed it, and it has since updated it. It's a fascinating study and is available through your search engine, and I imagine many of you have seen it, but if you haven't, I commend it to you. It's still very worthwhile and helpful. Who You Are is Where You Were When. Massey's premise is that we are products of a world that shaped us based on when we were born and our formative adolescent and early adult years. He says it's hard for us to become anything different because of the core values we received during this birth era. Yet he says that we need to see beyond our own context and life experiences in order to understand one another. We cannot put each other into the box that fits us. For others have boxes with different dimensions that fit them. I find he was right on target when this applies to me and explains somewhat my conflicted set of values about many things. You see, I was a boy and a young adult in the 50s and 60s. These were two decades of great difference in our culture and history in the United States. And as a product of the 50s, I learned, especially from my older sister, to love and wave the American flag. I still love anything patriotic and can hardly sing you're a grand old flag and America the beautiful without a grateful swelling of pride coming up in my chest. I've admired and valued our soldiers and their families and celebrated them as they have marched or ridden by on Memorial Day and Fourth of July parades. And that inner sense of patriotism is a very real part of who I am today. Who I, why, even yesterday, I put on loud patriotic music at our house and watched the Fourth of July celebrations last night from Washington and New York. Patriotism and almost a blind love of our country was a core value in the 1950s. But I'm also a product of the 60s, 
That's when I graduated high school and college. By the way, I'm 70 years old, so if you're sitting there guessing how old I am, I, I want you to listen to what I'm saying and not be worried about that. The 60s, when our world turned upside down, only by the luck of the draw did I not get drafted and likely go to Vietnam and fight beside Sonny Giddings and Larry Talley, two of my very close friends growing up in church, in youth group, who went to Vietnam and for whom I served as a pallbearer when they were killed in Vietnam. I saw a nation divided over a war and over racial issues with unrest on college campuses and a counterculture of youth, some known as hippies, as it unfolded, and I joined Peter, Paul, and Mary in singing songs of love and peace and, and yes, even protest, and which promoted social consciousness and justice. And you see, that is also who I still am today, a product of both of those eras, and a person often conflicted by competing loyalties in regard to what freedom really means in these United States. Is it waving and revering the American flag, which I love to do? Or is it speaking out for the freedom of those who protested, which I feel called to do also? Do I celebrate the security and bravery which earmarks our military? Or do I criticize the enormity of its budget and power at the expense of so many other critical human needs? Do I walk down city streets greeting people with a smile or if they look different from me, do I cross the street or not make eye contact or even duck into a storefront? What are our personal rights and, and what are our Christian responsibilities? What is really freedom for all? I wonder if the Jews were in the same situation when Jesus spoke to them. Were they both bound by their background and the realities of life as they had been taught? Or were they conflicted to look at a new life, the way Jesus was directed them? One of the questions that comes in translating these verses is whether or not the best word to use when expressing that the Jews trusted Jesus would be to say that they believed in Jesus. One commentary says that whereas they believed him to be the Messiah, no doubt he was the Messiah, they insisted on believing him to be the type of Messiah that they had anticipated. And basically that was a political Messiah. Ah, how human of them. They wanted to, Jesus to be their kind of man, their brand of Messiah. And might we all be tempted to fall victim to that way of thinking? Might we think that the freedom he spoke of is a selfish freedom we seek for our own personal comfort rather than something much bigger, much more important. So what did Jesus mean when he said, you shall know the truth? Some think he was talking about philosophical truth, the absolute truth. Others believe he used this term in the intellectual sense, while others think he meant the political sense, which I've just mentioned as a common understanding. But in our scripture, Biblical scholars most often agree that this reference refers to the truth about who Jesus was, his personhood, his work. It's the truth of redemption. One scholar says it's the truth which saves us from the darkness of sin, not from the darkness of error. And then listen to this. Jesus said to the Jews, you shall be free Yes, you are Abraham's descendants, 
And then he says, but you are trying to kill me because my message has not penetrated your thick skulls. My goodness, Jesus, how harsh you sound. Isn't that an oxymoron? Doesn't the fact that as Abraham's descendants, um, these people are chosen ones and are to celebrate and affirm the Messiah, yet Jesus was accurately telling them that they were working in ways that would assure his death. How painful that must have been to them. Or did they really hear him? Do you and I have thick skulls? Are we quick to say we are Christians because of our long, tried, and true commitment to our faith, while at the same time reluctant to understand what it might mean to be truly free in ways that Jesus wants us to be today? I fear that mold fits me all too well. How easy it is for all of us to get caught up in a sense of self-righteousness in both our society and in our church, and to believe we know the answers. Some of you know that almost every time I preach, I include what I believe to be the extraordinarily important verse from 1 Corinthians 13, which says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. You see, we must accept the fact that none of us knows the full truth yet. Therefore, we're going to misunderstand, we're going to misinterpret, and disagree on various interpretations of the Bible related to various passages. But does that mean we don't believe that the Bible is the authoritative word of God? No. Does it mean we turn our backs on one another when we disagree? Does it mean we don't live in a spirit of love that says, let me look in your mirror and, and you look in mine? And maybe as we share the truths that we are thinking we're seeing in our mirrors, we can have a better, fuller understanding of the truth that will be revealed to us one day because your glimpse and my glimpse together might strengthen one another. They may be different, but both of us are seeing only part of the truth. And here this morning is the one truth which I know is valid. The table around which we are gathered is for every single one of us. No one is better than anyone else. And we are all invited to come together as one body around this table. There isn't one over there for the people who support continuing the Confederate flags being a part of our heritage and society. And another one over here who says, gay people can have at this communion table and the one over here who says biblical literists can be at this communion table. No, my friends, there are no categories in God's eyes. And hallelujah, no matter who we are or what we have done, or we are all loved by God and we are welcomed and invited to dine at this holy meal together. God may be, and I'm sure is, disappointed in us at times, but God loves us devotedly more than we can imagine, each one of us. One of the privileges I had for a number of years was serving on the national board for the Council of America's First Freedom. And during those years, the realities of what that freedom meant became real in new ways to me as we worked across the United States to help interpret religious freedom in places where it was being abused. The words of the first freedom as they relate to religion are flowery as initially proposed, but the meaning is this. 
a citizen may practice any religion or none and not be forced to give in to anyone in matters of the faith. Furthermore, there is no litmus test of religious beliefs to determine if you're worthy for public office. Whew! Isn't that a hard one to swallow sometimes? How challenging to us as Christians, especially for any who profess a belief that our country is a Christian nation or a nation based on Christian principles. And also it's challenging when we're called to invite others to join in our faith. But an invitation, my friends, is different from a mandate. Our nation says we are not to mandate anyone's religious preference. And I believe we see the model of Christ was one which invited others to follow him, not mandating it. Do we invite or do we mandate that others believe as we do? Isn't that what Jesus was inferring when he told the Jews to trust in him? He was telling them the consequences if they didn't, but he was also inferring that they had a freedom of choice. And as Presbyterians, we embrace the concept of free will. God allows us to make choices, even bad choices. Here's the reality, my friends. We are free to be Christians as individuals. We are free to be Christians as a part of our denomination. Most of us in this place of worship today are free to be Christians as Americans. And Jesus says no matter what our circumstances, if we trust in him, we are free. But freedom has both burdens and responsibilities. With it in our country comes the right to cheer for our women to win this afternoon's World Soccer Championship. But we also have a responsibility to vote regularly and with responsibility, yet not to dictate our will on others when it comes to this nation. Do we too easily fall back on our own selfish thoughts by saying we have the responsibility to protect ourselves, our families, our loved ones, and not recognize that a part of our freedom means we embrace that privilege for others. We're free to associate with people of different races or who have different lifestyles than we do, but how free are we to judge them, to place them in their boxes and tell them we love them if they stay in their place? And how subtle are we in the ways we carry out our prejudices? And I'm talking about all places on the continuum. We may answer those questions differently, but to feel comfortable with our decisions without wrestling with them in the context of our faith and to believe that our answer is the only answer is sinfully selfish. Folks, the basis of the gospel is so easy to understand and it is this, God created and cares deeply for you, Jesus loves you, the Holy Spirit is alive and wanting to work in you, we have been given the privilege of living our lives with a free will to do what we believe is in God's best interest, even if it isn't always in our own. So let's take our wonderful parade and our patriotism and our celebrations. Let's take our worship time, our patriotic hymns and songs. Let's take our passion and our votes and let us assure them, use them to assure freedom for all of God's children. Let's stand up and make our voices heard for Jesus' sake. Let's cry out that we need to aid our brothers and sisters in Syria and Lebanon who are being abused horribly by ISIS only because of their faith. Let's stand up for those in our own United States who are not free because they were not born with the same privileges we have of race, of gender, of economic security, of having enough water, of breathing clean air, of safety for our children, and the list goes on. 
at the funeral of State Senator and Pastor Clem Pinckney at Mother Emanuel Church in Charleston last week, President Obama said, many people asked why this man had chosen to be both a minister and a public elected official. And then he said, whoever asked that question didn't know the history of the AME Church. And I thought whoever in our fellowship would ask that question about a pastor in the PCUSA wouldn't know our church's history either. They must have forgotten that John Witherspoon, a Presbyterian minister, signed the Declaration of Independence and was the only minister in the bunch. And I'm so grateful I wasn't moderator of the church when that happened. <laughs> Can you just imagine the anger and upset that must have been caused at that General Assembly? People in our church who don't understand this must not have heard what I heard when I went to the White House last summer to observe the signing of the extension of the civil rights law, that Presbyterians were in large measure given credit for that law becoming a part of our nation's rulings in its original state and in its extension. Our legacy as a denomination has always been to see how we may help influence the laws of this land to serve those who cannot serve themselves, to aid those who are in need, to speak up for those who have no voice. Now, does that mean we're all called to be social activists and politically involved? I suppose that's how, depends on how you individually define those terms. But I do believe that it means we are called to recognize that when Jesus told the Jews that they were hard-skulled and that they better trust him so they could be free, that we need to see if that applies to us too and as a result that we have responsibilities to carry forth in the name of freedom. Our fathers God to thee, author of liberty, to thee we sing. Long may our land be bright with freedom's holy light. Protect us by thy might, great God our King. How are you going to share and assure that freedom that Christ has offered us to others? How are you going to share and assure that freedom that Christ has offered us to others? How are you going to share and assure that freedom that Christ has offered us to others? If you don't, who will? <laughs>